with this being the final Sunday of the year, we thought it would be great to uh, deal with a matter where we get the opportunity to look back and see how God has uh, brought us to this place, even through the challenges of this year. And so really, we're using Romans 8.28 and following as a template, and most of you know what that particular verse is about. But this is an opportunity also for us to listen to God's Word in three parts, and in doing that, we're going to actually hear from uh, three of our beloved members who will be sharing a little bit uh, of, of grace along the journey that they have experienced, uh, how God has worked in and through their own lives, really how the Spirit has moved in and through their own lives for the good. We will hear from Jim Giffen in just a moment, and then Diane Watt a bit later, and then Spencer Haynes. First of all, Jim Giffen. Amazingly, I thought I had it all figured out what I was going to say this morning until I turned on the uh, weather because we were concerned about whether you were going to fall on the sidewalks and all those kinds of things. And I saw something that spoke in really right in line with what I was thinking, but it was very interesting to me, a program I've never seen. I don't know if you've ever seen it before, uh, Simply Southern. Anybody ever seen that on a Sunday morning? Never seen it. Uh, good example of how I think God works in mysterious ways because as I watched it this morning, just a snippet of it, they introduced a gentleman by the name of David Wright. And David, in his youth, he was 14 years old, had a hunting accident and lost his right arm. And he had planned to take over the family farm. And lo and behold, because of the injury, he said, well, I can't farm the way I need to, so I've got to go to school. And he hadn't planned on going to college, but he buckled down and started doing better in school, went to Auburn, lo and behold, met his wife, and they started a nursery business, not taking care of children, but growing plants, that's now rather large. And he, at the end of the interview they had with him, the uh, person doing the interview said, well, what would you do different? And he answered this way. He said, if the Lord came today and said, David... You can live your life with two arms, have at it. He said, I'd say, thanks, Lord, but I want to stay the way I am because of the way you led me through all these trials to an end that he was thrilled with. So that made me think about what I was wanting to talk about originally, which was when you're young, and I see a few young folks out here in front of me, you're looking forward. Kelsey, I would be willing to... Kinsey, excuse me, I would be willing to bet that you're looking forward right now a little bit. Uh, and you know things happen, and when they happen, they just happen. And when they happen, you just go on living life because things happen. But when you get older, you start looking back, and you realize that things didn't just happen. I would suspect that most of you who have gray hair are covering it up with some color that's not gray, uh, <clears throat> that uh, you might have had those kind of thoughts as you've looked back on your life. And so I had to look back on my life, and I realized that 55 years ago this fall, I went to a little college in East Tennessee, Carson Newman College, and again, speaking to the dark ages, when I went to college, there wasn't such a thing as the five-year plan. They had it all outlined in a little book, and it said, if you do this, 
you will graduate in four years. And so I, I was a business major, and the only downfall to being a business major was you had to take 12 hours of science. So I got my six hours of biology out of the way, but I put my six hours of chemistry off until I was a senior. Probably not the smartest thing. Now, don't laugh, Bill Wad. That's not appropriate for you to do because you, you <laughs> like chemistry. I don't. But I had a lab partner, and you're going to think it was Carol, but it wasn't. It was her roommate. And Carol was in the class. And I look back, and all I can say is, thank you, Lord, that I didn't take chemistry to my senior year because in a month, the love of my life and I are going to celebrate our 50th wedding anniversary. Now you can say that's just happened. You can describe it any way you want to, but you won't convince me that the Lord didn't have the perfect lady for me. And so I'm here to say that I didn't lose an arm, but I gained a helpmate. And I look back on my life and I thank God every day for what Carol's meant to me. Now, there's a young lady that's going to come and read scripture here in just a minute. And amazingly, we connect because her family and our family, we sort of grew up together in Carrollton, Georgia. And so I look at Jennifer and I say, Jennifer, I'm glad I got to know your family. And I look back and think, I'm glad we were in Carrollton together. And I'm glad to see how you've grown as a lady in Christ. So I challenge you, even if you're young, take a moment and look at the things that are happening to you in your life today and look for the hand of God working in your life. Thank you. I'm reading from Romans 8:28, New International Version. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. This is the word of the Lord. Maybe it's been a while since I was at the last uh, Sunday service of a year, but did nobody want to break into applause for 50 years of marriage? I, I don't so. Oh, okay. <clears throat> wonderful, wonderful word, Jim. And I did not know of that connection. It's amazing how God does that. Throughout this year, there have been points where we have touched upon a theme called Breathe Holy Spirit Moving Through Me. You might remember at the beginning of 2017, we had a number of uh, services regarding the nature of the Holy Spirit, understanding the theology of the Holy Spirit. And we went from there to practical matters related to the Holy Spirit, whether it was how the Holy Spirit can be our intercessor in prayer, even when we don't have the words to say. Uh, We talked about uh, spiritual gifts, how the Spirit imparts gifts on us, and many, many other things. Well, I thought also, since it's the last Sunday of the year, it would be good to have a passage as we look back upon this year, as Jim says, we all need to look back at times, Um, even those of you who have gray hair, unlike myself. Um, Yeah, that was a joke. Uh, 
But our passage this morning is, uh, in all things, God works for good. But I want to change the verse just a bit in a way that really doesn't change the meaning of the verse at all if you understand the nature of God as Father, Son, and, yes, Holy Spirit. And talk about how in all things the Spirit works. In all things the Spirit works and moves. All, through all that we experience, the Spirit moves through us, through our situations, and all things for the good. And I think this might be a helpful thing for us to talk about. I think uh, looking back even now, as objectively as possible, I think many commentators would say uh, that this has been a challenging year, uh, a, a difficult year. Some would say maybe a frustrating year, a divisive year. You find a lot of frustrated people in a frustrated world, and so I think it would be helpful for us to look back and recall how God has moved you and me through many things, how the Spirit has moved through us in many ways. So let's get right to it. First of all, as it says there in your bulletin, in all things we experience, the Holy Spirit moves it toward the good. Well, why do we have a frustrated people in a frustrated world? Well, it's creation in decay. It's a world in bondage groaning to be released. And it's not the way God originally intended it. Originally, God created everything, and it was what? What's the word? It was good. But ultimately, we messed it up. We had the freedom not to, but we messed it up, and that is when sin and death and decay and corruption entered. But hear the good news this morning from Romans 8.28. In fact, read this with me, if you would. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. I just want to zero in on that one word, purpose, because it is a key word. There is a difference between reason and purpose. Uh, Some time ago, I preached a series on half-truths. I think I call them deficient dictums. And one of them is that you hear quite often, everything happens for a reason. Well, that's a half-truth at best. Something bad happens, and you might say, well, I know that everything happens for a reason. And I think when we say that or when we hear that, we've got to remember that people mean well with that. And people are trying to make sense out of what is going on, and they're trying to justify it and have a logical understanding of why this happened. It really implies a simple cause and effect relationship. And they wanted to make logical sense. They're trying to justify the event, but it's not that simple. You know, there are too many forces in this world, some of them evil, wreaking havoc on things. And to simply say that everything happens for a reason is a bit, a bit too shallow. But there is always a purpose always a purpose, and it's the eternal purpose of God to do what? To restore the universe, as God's Word says, and to restore you and me to a place that is fitting with God. In fact, let's break this down just a little bit more as we did that Sunday many, many months ago, maybe even years, but the difference between reason and purpose, and and we'll just put some of these up. First of all, reason deals with an isolated event and focuses on that isolated event and tries to give some kind of explanation for it, whereas purpose looks to the big picture of things. Reason looks to the present, whereas purpose looks down the road to the future and trusts that the future will have a positive outcome. And finally, reason is seeking an explanation, sometimes too quickly, I would add, but purpose trusts and keeps moving. And Romans 8:28 friends is about purpose 
not reasons. And God's purpose will prevail. That's the good news of Romans 8, 28 and following. God's purpose will prevail, and there's no stopping it. Thanks be to God. Romans eight twenty eight through 39. In my Bible, the heading right above that section of Scripture says, More Than Conquerors. I've claimed these verses for years when things happen that I do not understand. And when I ask why, I claim this promise that God's ways are not my, mine and his plans are greater than mine. But what does it mean In all things, God works for the good. Through study and questioning, I've learned that the word good here does not mean good, great, terrific, the best thing ever. No, I have good circled in my Bible and an arrow to the margin where I've written the word someone said it means holy. So I read this verse. And we know that in all things God works for the holiness of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. But yet, being human, I still question his plans and timing of things with people in my life. And I strive to be more than conquerors. Our church is well acquainted with the disease ALS. We have prayed for and walked alongside Laurie Brock, Glenn Love, and now Brian Bonds. But I have a dear friend I want to speak of and for this morning, Beth Ann Beto Moles. Beth Ann and I met our first semester in college, and through our involvement in Campus Crusade for Christ, Beth Ann came into a personal relationship with Christ that semester. I loved watching a new believer grow and be so excited about her newfound faith. In my life, I'd only been surrounded with church-going people, and to see a new believer reading scripture for the first time and being amazed at its power and life-giving words impacted me. Beth Ann and her husband David have just celebrated their 38th year of being on Campus Crusade staff. Ten years ago, Beth Ann was diagnosed with ALS. Seven years ago, I traveled with a dear friend, Bronwyn Cardwell, to Pennsylvania to say goodbye. The wall of her bedroom was covered in verses of scripture that referred to heaven and being heaven-bound. The summer of 2016, Bill and I were in Pennsylvania for a wedding, and we traveled then again to see Beth Ann and David. We visited with them both. We were in awe by how Beth Ann communicates still with her eyes. David has developed a slow, deliberate, but loving way of communicating with her. The four of us, plus her caregiver, had a wonderful afternoon. But since that last visit, I have continued to ask God, why is he still allowing Bethann to live, and how can he be working all this for good, for holiness? I emailed David this week to ask that question, telling him that I was preparing to speak about Romans 8.28. He replied with some beautiful words that I asked permission to share today. 
The rest of my grace along the journey are his and Beth Ann's words that have ministered to me and I hope will minister to you this day. He begins, Beth Ann's never really wavered in her conviction that God is good. He has blessed her so much with a family, a wonderful ministry, and so many prayer and ministry partners in addition to her personal relationship with him. Therefore, if God is good, it follows that in her thinking that what he does is good. Since ALS is not good, just like death, theft, or broken relationships are not good, then so too the apparent loss of anticipated years of living and parenting input is also not good. Therefore, God must be doing something good that is beyond the smaller good of keeping her healthy and active in the short term. She thinks she may never, ever know all the good God will do in this life as it may occur even after she dies. However, God will work her illness for good somehow, some way, some day. However, Beth Ann does find comfort in several things even now. One, she is assured through the grace of God that she will dwell with him in eternity. Two, she will be made more whole than she has ever been in this life. Three, she sees that her disease has stripped aside in our kids the superficiality of their youth and had them wrestle with matters outside of making money, being popular, or achieving material success that the world throws out as substitutes for the trusting in God. Sharing her and our faith is easier and our audience more receptive as she is bolder, and the recipients, even if it's out of being polite, are more readily to hear the story of faith of hers in Christ. Five, attachment and attraction to material things has lessened as just keeping alive is far more critical. Six, our daughter Emily is sharing a young professionals is chairing a young professionals division of the New York City ALS Society, and thereby bringing more focus and funds toward fighting this illness. And last, God has graciously allowed her to attend four graduations, Emily's baptism, and hopefully this August, Emily's wedding to Steve, even while she is battling ALS. One of her favorite Bible passages, Lamentations 3, 22 through 24, is really the Old Testament version of Romans 8, 28. And then it says about God, great is his faithfulness. We sang that hymn at our wedding, as you may remember, and it really has been her and our marriage's theme verse. Even though our kids are at various places in dealing with life, God, and their mom's illness, we see that God's goodness and faithfulness are at work in their lives too. Just two weeks ago, Beth Ann told me she was wrestling with the verse, Hebrews 4.15, where it says that Jesus experienced all our weaknesses and sufferings. She was wondering in what way he had experienced ALS. We discussed whether his being immobilized on the cross could count, but she was still troubled. Later, she spelled out with great deliberation that she had resolved the issue because Jesus was experiencing her ALS on a daily basis with her. We serve a living God, and he is good. 
I hope sharing David and Beth Ann's story and words has ministered to you today and opened your heart and eyes to yet another way that, quote, in all things God works together for good in people's lives. 1 Corinthians 2, 9 says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor can the hearts of men and women conceive of what God has prepared for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. This is the story of Beth Ann's life. I would never have thought she would be used in such powerful ways to give a witness for Christ. Her inability empowers my ability to tell. To God be the glory. I'll be reading Romans eight twenty nine and 30. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Thank you for that wonderful word, Diane. Well, in all things we experience, the Holy Spirit moves things for the good. And in all things that we experience, the Holy Spirit moves it towards our good standing. And I so appreciate, Diane, your sharing how that word good there really has a strong uh, connection to the idea of holiness. Because that's really where we're going. Uh, To move beyond in all things God working for good, remember that this goodness that God offers us has a dimension of holiness pointing back to the ultimate holiness of God. Now, why is that important and why am I glad that Diane brought that up? Because God is a holy God and imagine us standing before him after our departure from this reality, this earth, and standing before him. Are you and I worthy? Obviously not. But thanks be to God through the work of the Spirit as we gain Christ in our lives and as Christ moves in and through us himself, through the Spirit. He is there also when we die, and He places us in good standing. It's interesting when you study Romans 1 through 7, because I think a a theme that pervades the first seven chapters of Romans is the word condemnation. You know, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and, and later on the wages of sin is death. And there's all this sense of condemnation to the point where Paul gets to the point in Romans 7.24 and says, A wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of death? I mean, he's talking about condemnation there. But wonderfully, he turns it in chapter 8, verse 1 where he says what there is now, therefore, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. In the Greek, there the emphasis is on the negative. There is absolutely, at this point, because you have Christ in your life, no condemnation in Christ before God. That's great news. Now, does that have to do with anything that you did in and of yourself? Absolutely not. What was just read a moment ago in verse 30, and having chosen them, he called them to come to him, and having called them, he gave them right standing with himself, or the word that David had in his translation is the word justified, and that's really the key word here is justification, justification. 
Now, justification is not like salvation, and forgive me if this turns into a slightly uh, boring uh, theological bit. I don't think it will, but justification is not the same as salvation. You confess Jesus Christ, and yes, you receive eternal life. You receive his salvation. But not only do you get new life, you get justified. You get a new standing before God, and so when you do stand before your Maker as you leave this earth, you will be justified because of Christ. And that's fantastic news. It's not the same as a pardon. You know, if you're a judge and there's a criminal who stands before you and you pardon that criminal, that's fine. But that criminal still has a record, right? But in justification, there's no record against you in heaven at all. Never forget reading. This was years ago. I read about this very wealthy businessman who was over in England, and he sailed to America. He was so wealthy and so successful with his company, he decided to take a, a months-long vacation in the United States. He had never been over here, but he was very partial to his car. Now, And it happened to be a Rolls-Royce. I'm not going to preach prosperity gospel, but it happened to be a Rolls-Royce. And he had it shipped over with him to America, and, and he wanted to learn how to drive on the other side of the road and all this kind of thing. And so he brought his own car to have more of a sense of security, and he was just very partial to this car. And so he brought the car over, but it began to have mechanical problems, and finally the car just failed out. And so he contacted someone back over in England who was with the company, and once they found out who it was, this successful, influential man, they actually contacted him back and said, look, we will get a mechanic and place him on the very next plane. He will come over there with the parts you need, and he will uh, repair your car. And that's exactly what happened. Mechanic came over, repaired the rolls, got on a plane, went back over the pond, and everything was great. And, and the man happily drove it around the rest of the time that he was in America. Uh, after he was finished, which was you know getting close to a year actually, which speaks to how successful he was and how he could just sit back and, and let other people run things, he finally got back over to England and had the car shipped back over there with him. But he noticed in all of his financial records that there never was a bill for having the person come over to fix the car. And so he wrote the company, and this is what he said. He said, this date last year, there was something wrong with my car, and you flew a mechanic over to help me. You fixed it, but I've never received a bill. If you should find that bill in your office, I'll be happy to pay for your efforts at fixing my car. He received a letter back from the Rolls-Royce company that said, in the files at the headquarters of Rolls-Royce, there is no such account saying anything has ever been wrong with a Rolls-Royce anywhere that you speak of. Now that's justification. <laughs> Because when you stand before God, in a sense, you have Jesus looking through the files, and he will turn around and say, we don't have a file on him here at all. No condemnation, no justification. If you're in Christ, you are in for eternity. So not only can we rejoice that in all things in this world, in this broken reality, God works it for good, ultimately when we leave this place and get to the ultimate holy good, he stands on our behalf Thanks be to God. Six hundred and twenty-four miles or nine and a half hours. That's the distance and time it takes for me to get from Birmingham, Alabama to college up in Charlottesville, Virginia. Well, I should say, if I'm driving, it can be under nine hours. I've done that before. But if my parents are driving, it's definitely going to be over ten hours. Um, <laughs> 
When I chose to go to the University of Virginia in late April of 2015, I was aware of these transportation statistics. However, what I failed to grasp at the time was the actuality of these statistics. Um, I hadn't fully grasped what the measurements entailed, but in four months, I would. From elementary school all the way up to high school, I was in the same school system, lived in the same house, saw pretty much the same people every day, and I loved it. I enjoyed the familiarity of my world. I enjoyed the inside jokes I had with my friends. I enjoyed the comfort of this church and its youth group. In truth, I was never alone. Something I'd underestimated was how difficult it would be to go into college without any established friendships. And that made for a challenging transition. For, for perhaps the first time in my life, I found myself alone. And while I was alone, it seemed my high school classmates and friends from Birmingham were enjoying their transitions. Thank you, social media. <laughs> in my mind, I was the only one struggling to stay afloat. When I came home for Thanksgiving and Christmas my freshman year, or first year in UVA terms, nearly everyone I ran into asked me how college was going. And every time I adopted a veneer of excitement and told that person everything was fantastic, which was far from the truth. As I returned to Virginia for my second semester, the loneliness followed. I isolated myself from everyone and I became frustrated with God. I was careening down a road that offered no solace. At least, that's what I thought. During this time, a friend shared John 13, 7 with me. That verse says, Jesus answered him, What I'm doing, you don't understand now, but afterward you will know. In this verse, Jesus is responding to Peter as Jesus washes the disciples' feet. Peter was unaware of God's plan for Jesus, just as I was unaware of God's plan for myself. God used that period in my life to highlight the pride and selfishness that were beginning to fester. Instead of viewing college as another opportunity to further my witness for Christ, I was viewing it as an opportunity to further my own broken self-interests. Around this time, God presented me with the answer to my situation and every situation, his son Jesus. Ultimately, the vision we have for ourselves is fruitless, and God reminded me that during that year, that his opinion is the one that counts, not my perception of myself or others' perceptions of me, God broke me down to build me back up again. He opened my eyes and my heart to new relationships and challenged me to pour into these new friendships, just as my newfound friends were doing in my life. Romans 8, 28 through 39 reminds me of the confidence we should have in God, no matter the obstacles we face. If nothing can separate us from God, then shouldn't we meet every situation with joy, not consternation? I'll end with a bit from the BBC show Sherlock. In one of the episodes, Sherlock Holmes is saved by another character in the show. He responds, Sherlock responds afterwards saying, In saving my life, she conferred a value on it. It is a currency that I do not know how to spend. We should be similarly overwhelmed by God's love and the value he has placed on our lives in choosing to save us. But unlike Sherlock, we know how to spend our currency. We should allow ourselves to draw near to him. Because pursuing anything else only leads to a sign that reads, dead end. I'm reading the last five verses in Romans chapter 8. It's on page 801 of the Pew Bible. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. 
As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of God. Thank you, Spencer, for that eloquent uh, word, wonderfully stated, uh, especially love just how you say, you know, if nothing will separate us from the love of God, why live with an attitude of consternation rather than one of joy? Uh, It's a currency that is beyond invaluable. It's something that we cannot even begin to to, uh, measure because of his goodness to us, because of his love for us, which is where we finally go. In all things we experience, the Holy Spirit moves us toward the good and, yes, toward good standing. But finally, the Holy Spirit simply loves us forever. And that is that invaluable currency. And to even call it invaluable, I think, is to cheapen it. It's beyond our comprehension, really, how the Holy Spirit loves us forever and that love never is separated from us. Just one story. 1878 was the year Victoria was Queen of England. Her third daughter was Princess Alice, and Princess Alice uh, married a king of a small German state, so she became a queen there in that German state, and they had a number of children. Tragically, a number of them contracted what was called the black diphtheria, and they had a daughter pass away because of it, and then they were horrified to learn that their youngest child, a boy, had contracted it as well. And her aides came along, her associates and physicians in tow, and they told her, Queen Alice, you cannot be around this child at all. We have put a nurse and a nanny in the room, and they are quarantined off, and you cannot go into the room to be with him. You and the king are to stay away. This disease is highly contagious, so don't go around him. And it was difficult enough for her not to do that, but then one morning she was standing by that little boy's door, bedroom door, and he, she heard the little boy say to the nanny in the room, why doesn't my mommy ever kiss me anymore? And with that, Alice threw the door open, ran into the room, grabbed the little boy, and smothered him with kisses, within a week, they buried her. She contracted the black diphtheria. You and I, we can say, analogously, that we contracted sin, and we were dying eternally in sin. But you cried out to God, and you heard Him speaking back to you and sharing his love with you and you gave your life over to him and he smothered you with his kiss of grace and it took his own burial, his own death for you to receive that kiss of grace and that love which is eternal, that never separates you, never will separate you. And I love the way the New Living Translation puts it, Romans 8, 38 and 39, and I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, 
neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will be ever able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. In all things, he shows us love now and forever. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. In all things, O God, help us to trust that you in your holiness, and yet through that holiness as you stepped into our own earthly place, you showed that eternal love and grace through your son's death on the cross. And by the gift of Easter, we are given new life and not just salvation, but justification as we will one day stand before you. Not because of anything we've done in and of ourselves, but in spite of what we've done and how we've been, because your son stands there with us. Why? Simply the motive of unconditional love with which you indeed kissed us. Thank you for that kiss of grace, O God. We are so grateful for this year that you have given us, and we pray that as we move into the new one, that we will trust implicitly your word, that in all things you do work for the good. All to your glory. Amen.